Now, I don't need to tell you because we're all so um, overwhelmed with this reality. But uh, right now, it does not feel um, very united, does it? No, we got three no's, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the less news you watch, the more united we, we feel. Um, I, Sandra and I, you know, when we drive down Georgia 400 South, and if you don't live in the Atlanta area, this won't make a lot of sense to you, but we're doing this major, major, our city's doing this major construction project um, at 285, which is the, the highway that goes around our city in 400. And every time we drive through there, you know, I say, look, we're not divided. Look at this extraordinary feat of engineering and all the skills and all the laborers and, and, and laborers and all the, the, the subcontractors and all the things that make this possible. This, this couldn't happen if there was not a lot of unity and a lot of cooperation. I mean, it's just, it's just a marvel to watch happen, especially if you, if you drive through that area. But other than that and other than a few illustrations and examples perhaps in, in the real world when we kind of get to our into our little corner with the people who look like us and agree with us and live like us there's just this sense in which there's so much division it just doesn't feel very united these days and um i don't think anybody likes that because everything seems to get easily divided into one of two buckets right i mean it's a red bucket or a blue bucket um it's the right bucket or it's the left bucket and nobody's happy about that at least I don't think us normal people are happy about that. Now, some people love it, and we've talked about this before, and this is unfortunate, because there is actually a lot of money um, to be made and a lot of power to be preserved as long as we feel like we're divided. I mean, you, you probably know this, but suspicion is profitable, right? Fear is profitable, which means, unfortunately, division is profitable. Um, convince me that there's a group of people that I should fear and then promise me you will protect me from that group of people for a donation and a vote, and I'll give you my donation and my vote because you're going to protect me from the people that I should fear, those racist Republicans and those socialist Democrats. And, <clears throat> anybody, are you nervous yet? The point is to kind of get you a little nervous before you go on, yeah. Because, you know, when you, in public speaking, they tell you, what are you supposed to do at the beginning of a, pub, of a speech? You're supposed to get the audience as what? Attention, yeah. I have somebody's attention on the front row. Anyway, yeah. So, and the thing is, and this is, this is and I can't, you know, I, I can't be personal in a, t a talk like this, so I'll try not to be, but neither side thinks the other side is paying their fair share, and I'm like, would somebody just tell me what the fair share is so I can pay it, you know? And because nobody, you know, neither side thinks the other side is paying their fair share, and nobody will tell us what the fair share is, you know what it does? It leaves us all less inclined to share. Now, you can raise a lot of money with division, right? You can create a lot of emotion, a lot of support with division. But, and I say this, try to say this a couple times a year, and I know it drives some of you crazy, but you can't solve problems there. You can't solve problems there. And you don't find Jesus there because you can't love well from there. And so I do my best as a leader in our organization to ensure that we don't go there either. And I know this really bugs some of you. So go ahead and you can formulate your, the email in your mind. And I get all my email. I read all my email. So I read them all, you know, and, and the nastier you are, the more inclined it is that I will actually call you on the phone, okay? And, and not to, to guilt you, but so that you'll, because I, you know, I want to know what you're thinking. But, but here's the thing, because, you know, I get this all the time. Andy, you need to take a stand, you need to take a stand, you need to take a stand. I'm like, I do take a stand. I stand right in the middle. I know, but we don't want you to stand in the middle. We want you to stand far left or, or far right. 
And when people say they want you to take a stand, they really just want you to take their stand, right? And I'm just not going to do that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So I just kind of wanted to stir it up a little bit so at least you'll, you'll pay attention. It's why it's... it's so here, let me ask you this way. Why? And this, just answer this for yourself. Why? Why do we so easily fall for rhetoric that divides us? Why? Why do you so easily fall? And you're like, well, I don't fall for rhetoric that divides us because I'm right. That, that's my point. You're convinced you're right. That's the whole problem, okay? You're convinced, okay, that you know everything there is to know about everything there is to know and that if everybody would just do what you think they should do, the world would be a better place. I understand. I feel the same way. I mean, at home, I mean, I'm no different than you. I say things, Sandra says, like, you're not going to say that in the sermon, are you? I'm like, well, we'll see, you know. <laughs> I'm not a neutral person. I am highly, highly opinionated. That's what Sandra says. She goes, do you have to have an opinion about everything? I'm like, I thought everybody had an opinion about everything. She says, no, just some people. You're one of those people. So I am not a milquetoast, neutral, whatever, let's all get along person. I am not wired that way but I've lived long enough to know, as many of you, in fact, as most of us have, that going to our comfortable corners is no way to make anything better. So why? Come on, you're smart. We're smart. Why do we fall for rhetoric that divides us? Has division ever led to a solution? I mean, even if you can think of an example, it's the exception to the rule, right? Or let me say it this way. Can demonizing, and that's what we end up doing, can demonizing half the population of our country, can demonizing half the population of our country based on party affiliation or skin color bring us together? Here's the question. Why don't we, and I'm using a strong word, I'll acknowledge that, why don't we despise division as much as we despise people who don't vote like us? Who don't look like us? Who don't live like us? Who don't experience life the way we experience? If we're, gonna, if we're going to despise something, we should have no tolerance for division because division is the problem and division is the enemy and it sends us into our little itty bitty corner echo chambers where we can't learn anything, discover anything new and just, we just wait for the other side to come to their senses and see the world the way that we do so that we can move forward. And the only people who win are the people who raise money there, who gain and maintain power there and whose futures, whose futures depend on our Division. And we should know better than that by now. The middle, and I know when I say the middle, I know what some of you are thinking, oh, you're compromise, compromise, compromise. Just, just listen for a few minutes, right? The, the middle is where people lay aside their personal agendas, their entitlement, and they do what's best for one another, and they do what's best for the community. And you know what? In the us real people who live in the real world, we do that all the time. Because in the middle, what's obvious becomes apparent. You know what that is? That's what's best for people. That's what's best. What's best for people, that's what's best. And in the middle, we can debate what's best for people because we're not going to agree on what's best for people. And we're going to have different nuances and different opinions and different life experiences that bear weight on what we think is best for people. 
But in the middle, we can debate what's best for people and make decisions about what's best for people without dehumanizing and demonizing people. And, you know, we're going to jump into this a little bit deeper in a second. And when we hear other people demonizing portions of the population based on race, based on party lines, based on anything, we should be the group that says, no, uh, 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 no, 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 no. You're generalizing, you're stereotyping. That leads us nowhere but our little echo chamber, chamber corners, and I don't do that, and I'm calling you out on it. Now, well, I think every American should be able to see through the, the spin that characterizes our politics. Christians in particular should be able to. So for a minute, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I know this is really hard. And I know, again, if you're new to our organization or you're watching for the first time, you're suspicious. And that's okay. Your defenses are up. Good. That, that's fine. I get that. You don't have any reason to trust me or take anything I say seriously. But for just a few minutes, I would like for you to take off your political filter your Republican filter, your Democrat filter, your Libertarian, Librarian, whatever you are, you know, <laughs> MSNBC, CNN, Newsmax, Fox News, you know, whatever, whatever your choice of, you know, media is. I want you to take your, your filter off, and I want, don't set it far, I just want you to set it beside you just for a few minutes, and when I'm finished, I want you to make sure you pick it up and take it with you, because we don't want to have to clean all that up when you're gone, okay? <laughs> so you just set it aside for just a few minutes. You can do this, and then when you're done, you, when I'm finished, you just put your filter back on and, and, and go, go on your way. But for just a minute, especially if you're a Christian, because as Jesus followers, the, our faith and our faith in Christ and our commitment to following Jesus is to be our primary filter, but it is so difficult as an American not to view everything through a political filter. I understand that. I wrestle with that like you do. But it's not the way forward. And it's not going to get a lot of things solved. And, and forget even solving the big macro problems. I won't even list them because, again, you'll be distracted. But just in terms of humanity and community and face-to-face -face and loving one another, we should be able to get this right. Now, so if you got, you got your filter off, or just say, don't, don't keep it close, okay? Because I may say something, you may pull it up real quick, okay? Here's one thing we can all agree on. So let's start with some common ground. We all appreciate, I think, the Bill of Rights, okay? Bill of Rights, as you know, is the, is the name given uh, to the collection of the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. That's what we call it, Bill of Rights. Um, it was created to protect individual rights and individual liberties. So here's the, here's the list real quick. Um, free speech, a free press, assemble, right to assemble, freedom of religion, right to bear arms, due process, jury trial. Anybody catch this? Bear arms. Yeah, it's, it's, it, this is the strangest one, even though we could just kind of fall apart debating this, all right? It's really bare arms. But if you focus on that word for too long, it's weird there too, either way you spell it. Like bare arms or bare arms. Okay, the right to bare arms. Um, cr uh, cruel and unusual punishment, we're, we're, we're protected from that. Um, quartering soldiers, which isn't very relevant, but it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, if we're not at war, they, the government can't make you put soldiers in your home. Some of you were like, I, can I just volunteer? I'd like to have some soldiers in my home from time to time. Anyway, <clears throat> so quartering soldiers. Now, today, today, if we were to, to do our own version of these, you know, some of these wouldn't be on here because they're not as relevant as they used to be. We would include things like free Wi-Fi. Don't you think that would be like part of Bill of Rights, you know? <clears throat> healthcare, free healthcare, free education. And so this is why our founders, who were so brilliant, and they get so much grief these days, which is 
just, you know, kind of irks me, but that, that's okay. That's, you know, that's, that's the thing I say at home. I don't get to talk about it out loud because it's just my opinion. Nobody cares about my opinion. This is why we had the Ninth Amendment. They were so brilliant. The Ninth Amendment, the Ninth Amendment was the catch-all amendment. The catch-all amendment, um, ba- basically, this, this made sure that future generations understood that those, that original list isn't the only thing that needs to be protected. So here, here's the, 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 ninth, the Ninth Amendment reads like this. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other or other rights retained by the people. In other words, they looked into the future and they said, you know what, there may be other things that need to be guarded or protected, so we'll have kind of the, the big, this is sort of the kitchen sink amendment, and they can, you know, other things can be protected. Um, so if we were going to rewrite the Ninth Amendment, because this is kind of legalese and it's not the language we use, our, our version of the Ninth Amendment w- might look like this. The right to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't interfere with anyone else's rights. Because this is how we think. And, and this is kind of the American way. And I kind of like this, that you know, we, should, we should have the freedom to live our lives however we want to live our lives, as long as it doesn't infringe on other people, right? But here's where we're going to dig down a little bit. Here's something we all know intuitively... And here's something the founder, founding fathers also understood intuitively. And in fact, they understood it better than we do because of the, the uh, form of government they had just come out of that they were trying to distance themselves from and at the same time create something brand new that would actually work for generations. And here's what they understood. Here's what we know intuitively. Here's what we lose sight of quickly. Rights must be coupled with responsibility or things go terribly wrong. That individual rights must be coupled with individual sense of responsibility or things go terribly wrong. You know this from growing up. Um, Most of us can remember when we got our learner's license or a learner's permit and you drove around with your parents, you know, and then you got to drive the car by yourself and you were irresponsible with your right to drive, and you lost something. Something was taken away. They took away the keys. They took away your license. Maybe they took away, if they bought you a car, they took away your car. That all of us know growing up, and all of us who are parents understand that with liberty and with rights comes responsibility. And irresponsible people, irresponsible people either lose their rights or they make a mess of their rights, and their rights begin to infringe on other people's rights, and then you just have a mess that individual rights, individual rights must be coupled with individual responsibility. And our founders knew this. Every parent knows this. And I don't even have to say this. We just know this intuitively that rights without responsibility, you know what happens? You get anarchy and you get isolation. That liberty, apart from responsibility, undermines our liberty. And that means, and you know what happens then? That requires more laws. Laws upon laws upon laws for every single eventuality because you have a bunch of irresponsible people looking for loopholes, loopholes, loopholes. So what do we hear? Close the loopholes, close the loopholes. Why do we always have to close loopholes? Because irresponsible people are always trying to figure out how to get around the law. So you have to close the loopholes and create more laws. Our founders understood this. We all understand this. In addition to the Bill of Rights, what we need, but what's impossible is a bill of responsibility. But you can't legislate responsibility. 
but without responsibility, rights isolate. Think of what a right is. A right is I have the right to do what I want to do. Whether you do it or not, regardless of how it affects you. I'm isolated. It, it creates isolation and it divides. And again, the founders knew this. John Adams, um, John Adams, second president of the United States, wrote this, looking into the future. This is, this is remarkable. Here's, here's what he wrote. Our Constitution, and again, we can't imagine. I mean, some of you started a company. Imagine starting a country. Let's start a country. That's a great idea. I mean, we can't even imagine the complexity of this. But here, here's what he wrote. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Our Constitution, who's it for? It's not going to work unless it's applied to and embraced by moral and religious people. Now, if you're not a religious person, hang on. Okay, we're going to come back around to this in a minute. <clears throat> it is wholly inadequate. Now, again, this isn't some modern liberal or some modern, you know, far-right person saying this. This is the person who is at the epicenter of creating it. It is inadequate. Wait, you're telling me the Constitution that you're so proud of, it took you guys forever to come up with, you're saying it's inadequate? He's going, oh yeah, there's some inadequacies in our Constitution. It is wholly inadequate, uh, inadequate to the government of any other, any other group of people other than the moral and the religious people. They assumed, they assumed a shared moral and religious context or guardrails that would fuel personal responsibility. A national conscience. A sense of ought that stood outside of all Americans that all Americans would appeal to. And they knew that apart from that, that the American experience would fail. Because when my rights, you know this, when my rights infringe on your rights, who's to say who's right? That's why we have to have laws. When rights collide, the law decides. But the law, it's just the nature of law. It's not nothing wrong with laws. The nature of law, laws, you know what laws reflect? Laws reflect the minimum requirement. The law tells you how low you can go and you still get to go home. That's what the law tells you. The law tells you what you can get by with. The law is designed to keep bad things from happening. But law, by the nature of law, does not inspire greatness it doesn't inspire virtue, and the law doesn't even inspire responsibility. I mean, you know, the traffic laws, but it doesn't make you a courteous driver, does it? Tax laws don't make you generous, even though it rewards you for your generosity. You still have to say, civil law doesn't make you more civil. <laughs> Neighborhood association rules don't make people good neighbors. In fact, it underscores the fact that they're bad neighbors, right? That's, that's kind of what happens. Free speech. The right to free speech doesn't make you kind. It, laws just put a limit on this, our, sort of our self-serving expressions of our personal rights. Rights, what we're entitled to. Law, what we're allowed to do. The law protects us from other people's entitlement. You cannot come into my house undivided, uh, uninvited. You can't come into my house uninvited to um, exercise your free speech. We have to have laws to guard us from other people's expression of their rights and their entitlement as Americans. Now, because of human nature, because of human nature, these two things alone actually 
foster division. It's nobody's fault. It's just the nature of his human nature. These two things alone foster division. It makes it easy to profit from division. So a third component is necessary. And our former president from so long ago said it. Our constitution, he says, Adam says, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. There's a third component that has to be there for this to work. And the third component, to use his word, even though we use the word a little bit differently now, is morality. What we ought to do. What we're entitled to legally, what we're allowed to do legally, and what we ought to do, virtue. And this is why you, and this is why you, and this is why the church, and this is why churches, and this is why Christians, and this is why people of faith, and specifically, this is why Jesus followers are so important. Because our legal system is wonderful as it is. Our legal system is appropriately, I hope you agree with this, our legal system is appropriately decoupled from religious absolutes. We don't want to live in a theocracy. But what we need, and again, if you're not a religious person, hang with me. What we need for this to work, according to our founders and according to common sense, and we all know this intuitively, just have to look at our families to know this. What we need is a national conscience But every conscience has to be informed by something. Every conscience has to be informed by an ought and an ought not that stands above us and is outside of law. A national conscience informed by the law of Christ. Now, this phrase law of Christ doesn't get much airplay in the church and I didn't grow up hearing about it. I just bumped into it in in studying the New Testament. But this is such a powerful concept and we come back to it over and over here because the law of Christ is a phrase the apostle Paul coined to summarize Jesus' new, com- new covenant command. Jesus' new covenant command was this. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. As I have loved you, don't get to define love. As I have loved you, that's how you are to love one another. And the apostle Paul comes along once he became a Jesus follower and he coins this phrase, the law of Christ. And the reason he uses this phrase is because he was, um, he was a son of Abraham. He was, you know, we would say a Jew, but they, he wouldn't be considered a Jew in those days because there was Judeans and Galileans and there were all kinds of sons and daughters of Abraham who subscribed to the law of Moses. And his whole life he had lived under the law of Moses and then he became a Jesus follower and he realized, wait, I have a brand new law. The law of Moses was our guy, but the law of Moses has been set aside and we've been given the law of Christ. And so to, so to be able to teach this to his Judean and Galilean audience, and to be able to teach this to Gentiles. He says, I've got great news. You've been set free from so many customs and traditions and rituals, but you're not free from all the law. You've been given the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2, 1 Corinthians 9, 21, he references this. And here's what the law of Christ is, sort of teased out in my words. You can look up the passages yourself. The law of Christ looks like this. This is why if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't fear this. To, to honor one another the way that God through Christ honored us. It's the law of Christ. That is, I should defer to you any opportunity I can. I should put you first every opportunity I get. I should honor you, not because of what you've done. I should honor you because of who you are. I should honor you because you have been created in the image of God. That when I look at you, I look past what you look like, where you've been, what you've done, and I see someone that God loves dearly, and I'm going to honor you because my heavenly Father honors you and my heavenly Father honors me. And he doesn't honor me more than he honors you. So of course, as a believer in God and a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna honor 
every single person I meet, which means, to flip it around, I'm not going to dishonor anyone ever for any reason. And when I do, I'm going to ask God to forgive me and then I'm going to ask you to forgive me. You can't legislate that. You can tell me what I can't do to you. You can't make me honor you. And our Heavenly Father says, just as your Heavenly Father, just as I have honored you by sending my son to pay for your sin, now I want you to honor one another. And I want you to care for one another. The way that God through Christ cared for us. The law can't make you care. That's why it's so important for the Jesus followers in our nation, all around the world, certainly, but in our nation in particular, to rise up and to embrace the law of Christ. I don't have to. The law doesn't make me. You can't legislate. It's not in the Constitution. This is what I do as a Jesus follower. I'm going to be responsible with my extra, and I'm going to use it to care for you and to forgive each other the way that God through Christ forgave us. Forgiveness is a gift. You can't force people to give a gift. If you force people to give a gift, it's not a gift anymore, is it? Forgiveness is the gift. Forgiveness is the gift that says, you know what? You owe me, but I'm canceling your debt, and I'm canceling your debt so that we can meet in the middle, and we can talk, and we can have community, and we can have a relationship. And if you don't forgive me, and you don't come halfway across the bridge, that's up to you. But as a Jesus follower, I'm forgiving you. And you really hurt me, and you harmed me, and you did bad, and you were wrong. But you know what? I don't want there to be a constant obstacle between the two of us, so I'm going to give you what can't be legislated. I'm going to give you forgiveness. To accept one another the way that God, through Christ, accepted us. What if we just did this? Christians, do you know why God accepted you? Accepted me? Not because we were acceptable. Able. Not because we had deserved it. And Jesus said to his disciples that night, I want you to do for other people what I've done for you. That means I want you to accept people who you would consider otherwise unacceptable. Can't pass a law for that. But imagine a community like that. A nation like that. Our founding fathers, looking into the future, said, if you don't get that, this ain't going to work. To love one another the way that God through Christ loved us. So, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was at the epicenter of this major, major, major transition. Again, we can't even imagine what, what he went through to transition to become a Jesus follower after being an amazing Pharisee. He said he was the best Pharisee that ever lived. Had a high self-esteem. But anyway, he said he was the best Pharisee. And then he said, but you know what? I consider all that is garbage. It is nothing compared to what it looks like to follow Jesus. So he's writing to a group of Judean and Gentile Christians. And he's reminding them, hey, Moses was your guy. Now Jesus is your guy. Moses was your guy. Now Jesus is your guy. And because Jesus is your guy, you are stepping into a, 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 an environment or a context of freedom that's so powerful. But just because you have been lifted out of the law of Moses with all its traditions and all its restrictions, don't do what most people do the first time they experience freedom, the first time the restriction is lifted. Again, back to the driving thing. I remember the first time I got in my mom's four-door Catalina by myself. 
have my driver's license, and my parents said, you can go drive by yourself. Up until that point, you remember this, up until that point, you had an adult with you or an older brother or sister, and now you're behind the wheel all by yourself. And remember how what a law-abiding, let me just talk to the guys for a minute. Remember what a law-abiding driver you were? No, because when we get new freedom, we have a tendency to exploit and go to the edge of those freedoms. And Paul says, look, if you're a Jesus follower, you've stepped into a brand new realm of freedom, but don't you, don't you, don't you use that for yourself. To my brothers and sisters, he says this, you were called to be free, but, 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 you, you have a bill of rights, but, you live in a nation founded on freedom, but don't, he's talking to Christians, don't view your freedom, don't view your freedom as an excuse to run to your entitled little corner where it's all about you. You can do that legally. No one can legislate against that. But if you're a Jesus follower, don't use your freedom to escape to your little echo chamber corner. Paul's words, he says it this way, but do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Don't stoop to, is it illegal? If not, I can do it. How low can I go? How low can I go? What can I get by with? Loophole, loophole, loophole. There's nothing in the law. He says, don't do that. Rather, he says, here's what I want you to do with your freedom. Christians, Jesus followers, here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to serve one another humbly in love because that's what God through Christ did for you. You're free. What are you going to do with it? You got all these rights. What are you going to do with it? You're entitled. What are you going to do with it? You got all this protection from the law. What are you going to do with it? Paul says, well, if you're a Jesus follower, you're going to exploit that and use that for the benefit of other people. And neither the law or the Constitution or the Bill of Rights can make you serve one another. You have every right not to. We are entitled not to. So we have to choose to. Unity can't be mandated. Unity must be chosen. And here's why I'm talking about this today. Somebody has to go first. I want you to go first in your world, in your community, your family, your friends, on the other side of whatever aisle. I want to look for ways to go first. Because, here's the thing, this is so powerful. When we choose to set aside when we choose to set aside our right not to love and not to serve and not to care and not to forgive and not to give, when we set aside our right not to do those things, the distance between us decreases. And you know this, you're you're adults, right? You know this, when, when the distance between you and somebody not like you decreases and you learn more about their experience and their background and how they see the world, Your response is always the same. My response is always the same. It's like, oh, oh. You know what oh means? Oh, I was wrong. Oh, you know what oh means? Oh means, oh, I never took that into consideration. Oh means when I was over in my corner with everybody who looked like me and agreed with me over there, it all was so buttoned up and it all made perfect sense. 
Oh means maybe it doesn't make as much sense as I thought it did. Oh doesn't mean I'm going to abandon all my values and my political leanings and my, you know, the things that are... No doesn't mean you're going to abandon... Oh doesn't mean you're going to abandon anything. Oh means, oh, maybe I have something to learn. Oh, maybe you're not crazy after all. Oh, maybe we have more in common than I suspected. For the entire law. And this next part, unfortunately, most of us can quote it. Sometimes things become so familiar they make no impact. When, when Jesus made this statement and when the Apostle Paul repeated this statement, it was like, what? Put down your pen, you know, look up, what? Love, it says that for the entire law is fulfilled. I'm talking about the law of Moses, which he said, you're not under that anymore. But by the way, it's okay, you're, it's better. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping just one command. It's like Paul says, and look, I'm not even going to bring Jesus into it. It's, it's even simpler than that. The entire law, the whole world changes. Everything kind of fixes itself almost with this one law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do it like, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, it's good to love our neighbor as ourself. Who's our neighbor? We don't even have neighbors. We don't even know our neighbors. Do we know? Has anybody moved in? I don't know. I don't even look, right? Who is my neighbor? This is so great. And I gotta, gotta move on. Jesus so brilliantly, brilliant, he, you know, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers that question with the, the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. You know who your neighbor is? Your neighbor is anybody with a need that you can meet. Your neighbor is anybody who has a problem you can solve. Your neighbor is anybody who's hit a bump and you can come alongside and help and care and do something for them. That's, that's your neighbor. Do you just do for them what you hope somebody would do for you or your son or your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter or your niece or your nephew? Or your mom. You, you don't even have to believe in God to do this, right? What, what if we just all did that for a couple of years? For, for one year, six months, six months. And what if during that six-month period, anytime somebody brought up, you know, the, 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 those and those, no, 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 don't, I don't buy that. I don't, I don't buy that. You, you, you think that way because you, you just go love those people. Well, they're not going to love me back. That's good. It'll make you more like Jesus. Just love them anyway. <laughs> Here's what happens if we don't. Paul's so great. He said, here's what happens. Here's what happens if you just settle for law and what's and your rights. Just hang on to your law and what's right. Here's what he says. If you bite and devour, this is kind of gross, but that's his point. He wants you to go, ugh. If you bite and devour each other, I just want you to think about biting someone, okay? Like you got, like you got them in your teeth. You're like, oh, I don't want to think about that. Paul's going, that's what you're doing. If you settle for just law and your individual rights, you end up biting and devouring people. People are hurt. And why do dogs bite? Dogs bite when they're afraid, when they're out of control. Why do we strike back when we can't control the future, we can't control the people around us? He said, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed, not from the outside. You're going to destroy each other. And to some extent, isn't this what we're witnessing? We're biting and devouring each other legally. Every man for himself, or every woman for himself, isolates every man and every woman to themselves. And eventually, if you isolate yourself long enough, you will be isolated from yourself. C.S. Lewis says that's what hell is. Hell is everybody gets whatever they want just by thinking about it and they don't need anybody. That's hell. We're like, oh, that sounds great. C.S. Lewis says that's why we do that because we think it's great he says no that's exactly what hell is 
So I want to wrap up with three suggestions. Super simple. I've said some of this stuff before. I don't even know that it's original with me. I'm not trying to be original. I'm just trying to get us to think bigger and to follow Jesus in spite of what we see every day and hear every day and what we're reminded of every day. No, nobody can make you do any of these things. Nobody can require you to do any of these things. We can't pass a law. But if you embrace these three things, you're going to have to leave your corner. Don't reach for your mask quite yet. You're going to have, hang on, you're going to have to part in part with your party. And you're going to have to move toward one another. And when we decide that the enemy is division rather than people, we will. But if you continue to listen and I continue to listen to the people that say, no, the problem is other people, we won't. We'll be manipulated. People just keep their power and raise lots of money. Number one, do what's just, not what you can justify. Do what's just, not what you can justify. Not what you can get away with, not how low can I go, not how, not how you know, far down can I, no. How high can I reach? How others first could I possibly and honestly, I feel a little bit sometimes like I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are so generous and you are so good to our community. So please don't hear me chastising you for not doing something you're already doing. I just want us to take that thing that we experience as a community when we, you know, you bring bicycles and you bring food and you do things for the community. What if that same spirit, that thing that you do so well, overflowed into other areas in our community and in our world and our lives and our friendships and the people we don't even want to be friends with. How others first can I be? How can I help? Number two, to do what's responsible and not what's permissible. If you are not willing, just let me be specific, if you are not willing to take full responsibility for the outcome of a decision, don't do it. But it's legal. But don't do it. Yeah, but every Don't do it. Choose to be responsible because taking responsibility for your life and taking responsibility for the outcomes of your decisions that's response that's what responsibility is and if you're a jesus follower come on don't be irresponsible it doesn't matter if nobody else knows you know it doesn't matter if everybody else is getting by with it come on you're not everybody Irresponsibility drives people away from other people and drives people into their self-fulfilling prophecy corners where they justify what they do because they're surrounded by other people who justify the same thing. Don't do that. Let's be better than that. Number three, do what's moral and not what's modeled. Be the hero. Don't be the villain. Every time you have a big relational thing, a financial thing, every time there's a big decision to make, every time you hit a bump, there's, you have an opportunity to decide are you going to be the hero in your own story or the villain. Come to the rescue. Don't be a regret. Write a story, we say it all the time, that you're proud to tell. You don't have to. You're free not to. Choose to. Choose to. Somebody's got to go first. I think the Christians should go first. I think we should have been going first all along. The silence, all the noise. And say, no, 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 no. You're, you're talking about people Jesus died for. So shh, knock it off. No, no, whoa, 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 whoa. All the Republicans, all the Republicans, they can look at me. You personally know all the Republicans. You don't. Oh, 
Stop, maybe you do what you're talking. Sounds like you know them all. All the Democrats, every, wait, every single Democrat, you, you know all the Democrats now? Okay, well, the way you're talking sounds like you know all the Democrats. I don't think you know what or who you're talking about. Hmm. <clears throat> I'm grateful like you are for the Bill of Rights. I'm grateful that we're a nation of law. I'm grateful we don't have a dictator or a king. But let's not kid ourselves. It's not enough. We need ought to. Otherwise, we will devour ourselves. And we will see people rather than division and disunity as the enemy. One more last thing real quick. James Madison, fourth president of the United States, um, he understood that apart from what we're talking about, that this experiment just won't work. So in a convention speech in 1788, he made this statement. We'll wrap up. No theoretical checks, no form of government, can render us secure. Now think about who's saying this. Wait a minute. You just made up the government. You just created our form of government and now you're telling us that the government, even the one you created, can't keep us secure? He's like, no, let's not kid ourselves. To suppose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness, will secure it, provide it, but not secure it, without any virtue in the people, without any virtue in the people? You mean this comes back down to the, how willing the people are to take responsibility for their lives and to do what's just rather than what they can justify? Yeah, he says, at the end of the day, it really comes down to the people. Without any virtue in the people, to, to assume that the government can do this without any virtue in the people is a chimerical idea. It's a term we don't use much. It means it's a fairy tale. It's an illusion. Don't kid yourself, he says. At the end of the day, it comes down to the virtue, the other firstness of the people. Without that, they made it up. It eventually all comes tumbling down. And somebody has to go first. So, we the people can do better. We the Jesus followers, we have to do better. So let's not just tolerate one another. Let's not just settle for law-abiding citizen. Keep all the rules. Let's be Jesus followers. In Paul's words, let's do this. Starting today. Starting with you. Do everything. Here's what he said. Without grumbling or arguing amongst yourselves. So that we, the church, the Jesus followers, may become blameless and pure children of God in other words like father like son like father like daughter like father like son like father like daughter children of God without fault in a divided warped my corner my people my thing in a warped and crooked generation he said and if you'll do this and I'm telling you this is crazy he said this I mean there were a handful of Christians I mean, they, had no, they made no impact on the empire or even the temple yet. I mean, they're just this disenfranchised group of people. And Paul says, look, I'm telling you, if we get this right, it has the potential to change everything. If we get this right, we will, look at this, then we will shine like stars. We will shine among them like stars in the sky. We will be noticeable. And perhaps people will begin to take their cue from us and perhaps some other people will be willing to go first. And then we can make our way into the middle 
where the problems are solved and things are actually changed. And not just for our sake, for the sake of our nation and perhaps for the sake of the whole world. No questions today? I think we all know what to do. But I'd love to pray for us as we go. Heavenly Father, easy to stand up here and talk about, difficult to walk out of here and do. But it's what you've called us to do and at Calvary, you modeled it. You sent your son to pay for the sins of enemies. We lost all our excuses there. So please give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us the courage to step toward the people we don't understand, we don't know, that we disagree with. Give us the courage to step into the middle. Not to compromise something important, but to come together to accomplish the things that we have extraordinary potential to accomplish as a nation, for the sake of our nation, for the sake of the world. And Father, I pray that your church would go first. So give us eyes to see courage to respond in Jesus' name. Amen.